Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the Obelisk. Apologies for starting late tonight. We were goofing off. Getting buzzed. Getting ready. Preparing. Preparation. Yes. One toke over the line. One toke over the line. Sweet Jesus. (laughs) We never did that karaoke night, did we? No, but we need to. I know. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, tonight's guest is Mr. Nathan Day, uh, someone I've known for about three years, two, three years now, a uh, frequent Cruising Stake cast member, that's a good term for it, and uh, co- 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 co-creator, co-founder, co-contributor, I'm not sure which one of those is correct, to StolenHistory.net. And just all-around swell guy. So we're going to talk hidden history tonight and all kinds of cool shit like that. So, Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jer Bear. Anytime, buddy. <laughs> I'm looking forward Jer-Bear, to this. Jer Bear, Jer Bear. We've already been talking about booty cream, deep booty cream. Mm-hmm. Y'all sound- missed out on that. And sounding. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's uh, ure- urethral dilation. How's that? Yeah, you put them down your penis. Oh, the tuning fork thing. Mm-hmm. No, it's not a tuning fork. Oh, but it, it is be. kind of. Well, it tune you right up. Hit that high <laughs> F. <laughs> That's right. I, Nish, I just saw your message about got the link, and I'm sorry I didn't see that. No, I went. I realized you probably sent it to where I found it. Okay, good. <laughs> it, which means you've sent it everywhere. I just didn't see it. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Same as always. Hi, everyone. Nathan, again, it's nice to finally meet you. You're like OG over there, and I feel like that's my family as well, even though I'm the long-lost girl that only shows up once in a while when she needs a $5 bill. <laughs> but you're you're like a beer pong celebrity shot. When you and Suzanne pop into the chats, everybody's everybody's all ears. It's a warm welcome. You know, well, I'm just a potty mouth on that show. It's my favorite, favorite place to just be absolutely ridiculous and uh, let it go. I really just, I let it flow as well. And we have Sometimes all that. Sometimes you got to let your hair down. And we have all that filthiness, mm. on, filthiness on tape. I know it's oh. there, people. <laughs> it is there. <laughs> Spotify has no censor. Oh, I love that. I've it's never, amazing. I have never censored myself on that show and I have made quite a fool of myself. You know, people, this is the thing. A lot of people don't realize that I'm a comic and you can see it on Cruising with Steak for real, but it's nasty. You know, I'm an old school. I'm from the old school where I'm inappropriate, irreverent, and I make fun of myself mostly. You're like Bob Saget. Yeah, well, it, minus the pedo stuff. He's not a pedo. Uh, he's dead. He's nothing now. Well, yeah, but he was not a pedo. He was nothing <laughs> from <He's> nothing. nothing. <laughs> now that Dave Coulier guy, I don't know about him. Oh my god! No, I don't. I honestly have no idea what uh, what kinks they're into. But it's not pedo There's anymore. There's so many these days. It's minor right. attracted person. I know. I can't believe that actually (laughs) is a thing. It's so crazy to me. This is how crazy our world is right now. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good example. Yeah. George Carlin had a specific bit on that 
where you take one thing and you just extend the name of it to make it more polite. You guys remember that bit? He was talking I do. about shell shock and turning it into PTSD. Yes. It was it, he was very anti-politically correct as as I am. I love that. I I saw him in concert once. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, but uh, he did that bit on stage. It was great. Well, I love me some of these old school characters anyway, like Don Rickles. Come on, people. Don and Red Fox. Oh my God. <laughs> Joan Rivers. These people just couldn't get any work in this climate at all. Jackie Even Mason. Joan Rivers. Jackie Mason. Yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. There's so many goodies out there that it's Dangerfield. He'd have problems. I, I know. I know. These were great comics. They were really just irreverent. And that's mm -hmm. what, you know, in part, that's really what we're missing is a lot of this. Let's look at ourselves and, and laugh about all this, anything ridiculous. That's the point. We like lost the humor. Well, we haven't, but society at large. They need some of that deep booty love cream. It's, they do. And to be, and to be called... Uh, Thirty words and humiliated. No, I, well, I, I don't want to get into this whole discussion. I would love About to get into this whole discussion. Yeah, no, that... <laughs> the problem is, <laughs> don't make me laugh. Eh? <laughs> okay, so we do have a guest of honor tonight. Yeah, I mean, so... I, I'd love to get into that if you want to talk about that some night and just. Because I have, you know, my observations of where that all came from and, and why it's proliferated. And, and it's an interesting topic to me. So, but not tonight. Wait, wait a second. Where what all came from? I'm thinking the, deep the... booty love. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about comic self-censoring and the whole political oh, correctness yes. thing. And okay. Oh, I gotta bring that's my... swinging back the other way. So yeah. we're, we're just going to have to sit tight until it comes back. I, I, I completely agree. And it's going to come back it's, hard. It's on the way back. Yeah, the, the anti-woke stuff is already being, um, they're already warning you about how dangerous the anti-woke trend is right now. It's so exciting. It's extremist. We're extremists because we're, we're not, we don't believe what they believe. So we are extreme. That's. Oh, I mean, they're, they have really trying they're really trying hard to shut us up though at the same time as this backlash is happening you know the current administration in a lot of these countries is creating these agencies to you know Wokeify. make us capitulate yeah i mean look at some of it you can't you yeah. can't criticize like legally you can't criticize stuff well you can yeah. in the united states you can't Elsewhere. Right now, but no. look at look at all these other countries, including what's gone on in England this this week. They it don't have crazy. a First Amendment. I will tell you the um, or Second Amendment. The UN, the UN passed a specific resolution about a specific schmollishmost uh, idea, and multiple U.S. states have now passed legislation on it. Just a few months ago went completely under the radar. So they're really trying hard to make yeah. us be like Germany yep. is today. Yes, they are. And it's going to be interesting how it all plays out. But let's talk ancient history it's, and all It's going that. to be a bloodbath, I hope. I'm kidding. <laughs> 
Well, so I would anyway. like to see, you know, just as a note, I would like to be able to visit Sweden and experience Swedish people and Swedish culture. Is that too much to ask? Or, you know, England and experience English culture and the English instead of third world Africa? Or what even happened to Paris? Is Paris now what, Rwanda? I mean, I you know, this is what's so sad wrote a about, song about it. Yay is rocking it. <laughs> that song is years and years old and it gets truer every day i don't know mm -hmm. any of this guy's music yay's a genius all right anyway i don't care what anyone says but so, anyway let's get yeah. to let's get to it yeah tell us about uh stolenhistory.net i know there is a story behind that although i don't recall <laughs> it like it was someone else's site and then someone worked there and left i don't remember the please do tell I am compared to my better, Mr. Trismegistus or Alex Hagag. Alex, am I saying that last name right? I don't know. Um, He's gonna also be known as Flavortown. Yeah, Flavortown. Yeah. Flavortown. AKA the orphan train conductor, um, the real OG. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, stolen history was one of the old forum-style sites that you see. Uh, you still see these pop up today. They take nothing to maintain if you leave them in the bare-bones state. Uh, but a lot of people began to gather and correlate long-form research and long-form studies and put things together. And you had a small crowd initially, but uh, there was one, one entity, uh, and this was Corbin Dallas. And Corbin Dallas maintained the site and also posted an inhuman amount of content. So uh, events changed over time and stolenhistory.org dropped off the map. But all of the contributors there stuck around. And after all the confusion, because they had no access to the administration of this original site, they created their own called it stolenhistory.net and this is where we're at today now stolenhistory.org the original site uh, is still up it's still available for perusal and a lot of the content from that site has been archived and reposted on stolenhistory.net uh, but the difference in administration and site flow uh, is night and day it's completely different <clears throat> now, I am not a core member of this. I am simply a contributor. I've been on a couple shows to talk about it. Uh, Grimerica, we did two spots on there about uh, Tartarian hidden history. And um, as far as my contributions to the site go, um, I've done a bit of narration, some voice work for them, uh, a bit of a weekly podcast that we tried to get off the ground, but uh, everyone was dying of COVID. So that was put on hold for a bit. Um, as well as uh, a video on electric cars in the 1800s and general support. Now we've, we've been doing this for quite a while, but I'm not going to say I'm even a core member. I'm just a contributor. And this is kind of, it's kind of the point of me. I 
I see no need to be a figurehead. I see right no on, need me to too. be I'm the same way. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody else ever got this this fear, but I was I was 15 when MySpace was big. I was at least 18 when Facebook and Farmville got big. But I remember the early days of what is now the internet. And I was so terrified of going viral. I think that <laughs> stuck with me. But I don't. I don't want to be famous and then picked apart for every word I mispronounce or for every idea that woke culture can't get down with. No way. I'm way too spicy for that. I've always loved doing shows with people. And that's why my show is not a monologue show either. It's a guest show. And that I feel you on that. I just feel you. Uh, and also, you can only take those figurehead shows or the monologue shows so far, in my opinion, because people tend to loop on their stories and they loop on their opinions. You already kind of know what's going on unless they're really, really good. And you know, maybe not all, all that prolific because the same stuff, if you're an honest human, there's, you know, you can, you know, unless I guess you're one of these UFO famous people out there that's constantly got new content coming at your arse that you're saying is true. I'm not going to say CG. <laughs> out loud. No, and that's <laughs> not secure team 10. Um, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, this show's turning. Now, the the trap that most people fall into is that they make something regular, but they don't have that dearth of content. There's yeah. a finite amount of things that they initially set out to talk about. And so they find themselves pushing for more, stretching things out, regurgitating yeah. So much information and relying on, we could say, shaky sources to produce more information to share. And then on top of that, trying to monetize and merchandise everything. Oh, God, I know. Yeah, And it's you find yourself at an impasse. Do I stop until there's more information or do I keep going and try to keep all these fish on the hook? And I saw that trap pretty early on and decided that's not for me. Not at all. I'm going to walk around and I'm going to find something I've never heard of. And I'm going to have somebody teach me. And that's that's kind of how I fell into every single thing I've ever looked at here. And uh, stolen history is still even even a couple years after finding them. Stolen history is at the forefront of collaborative international research as far as any of this is concerned. And that's awesome. This is the whole thing with anything. I think the more people focusing to try and figure out something, the stronger, the better, the more, the higher quality you have. And it's people that can't share or won't be open to other people's research or stories. And there are plenty of those people out there right now with cults. I'm not going to name names because I want to, but I'm not going to. So this is really cool, Nathan. I love this. And this is kind of, well, isn't this, this is almost basically open source with your research and studies and collaborations. 
this is actually it's all completely open source um you have uh mostly a crowd initially of people over 40 and almost all of that crowd is actually over 50 and these people they began with their localities um galveston texas features heavily in a few threads and you would not believe the almost two centuries of strange history to come out of this unique location you can go to galveston today and if you have the eyes to see it's a frightening place well tell us a little about what we could see over there on the island island isn't galveston no, an island no. it has a, has an island off the coast like a, a breaker ah yes but it's not an island so Galveston is this weird spot. It's kind of like New Orleans. It's the location of two Cat 5 hurricanes 100 years apart. The town has been just rent in twain on multiple occasions, but nothing near it gets touched. And after that, the esoteric information and the building and uh, the battles fought near Galveston and the rebuilding and subsequent rebuilding of Galveston. It's it's just so strange. Especially right. I don't know how to explain it. The place is unique. But I would know nothing of Galveston if it weren't for stolen history and somebody who lives near there. You also have people who live uh, near the mountains of Andalusia in Spain. Yes. And you can actually find an old star fort up there and it's selling for $3.2 million. If you'd like to go live in the mountains where nobody will ever bother you, that's where you go. I need to borrow some <clears throat> money. Man, and we get, have and get a passport. We, we need to win the lotto. That's what's going on. <laughs> we have all talked about all different groups have all talked about going in on buying a star fort somewhere. And I mean, it's cheaper than a house in Seattle right now. So if we all went down on it, we could have a couple of these locations. The homes are already built and there's aquifers under most of them. You know, I love this idea. And you know, I love aquifers. Yes. Well, water is how we humans, we humans need water to live, especially clean water, as opposed to whatever's going on now with all the poisoned waters. Mm -hmm. Cool. <laughs> so, um, so I, I, you still didn't tell the story <laughs> that I was thinking of, which, so I might be wrong. That there was some kind of fight between the original stolen history people and then you guys and you ended up setting up a new site or they not you personally but the group involved there is that am i misremembering that uh so corvin dallas was a little weird in that after a while people began to think that he wasn't one person uh he actually lived out in my area i'm in washington state and um Oh, so am I. Heck yeah. Good place to be, almost. <laughs> How now, brown cow? <laughs> mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, so KD for short. KD 
was putting in an inhuman amount of work and the quality of it just seemed like a team more than a person. So when the site went down and KD went black, uh, there were a million different fan theories about it. And <clears throat> sorry. And you guys are well aware of how people get paranoid about creators and about people being agents or uh, chills, yes. grifters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Glowy, yeah. glowy ones, glowing ones. So I feel like every great origin story has a betrayal, and uh, this was it. This was it. And so when we started up the the new stolen history, I say we, not me. Um, when the new stolen history came up, it was Corbin Dallas Free. And since then, he's come back, but still to this day, nobody knows who he is or if it's a they or if it's a she. And we don't even know if it's the original KD that's back oh in the new stolen history site. That's the power of anonymity, I suppose. Which is not easy in this day and age. Well, as an ad admin of that site, you could find the IP address that they post on. It doesn't yeah, even but... matter. It bounced yeah, around so I, much. It was. Yeah, who cares? It, so a few of our a few of our admins have been in the tech world since before the Internet. And they can't find this guy. At all, they can't find any discerning information. I mean, the mystery remains unsolved. It was pretty I'm intrigued. Crazy. Yeah, I'm very yeah, much intrigued. His posts are still, even years on there, still staples of stolen history lore. It's not like they're posts that we know are misleading. It's, they're, they're sound research. So it's really so, strange. So, give us some idea of some of the juicier content that is very high woo or high strange. Oh, do you want the weird stuff to start? Okay. Yeah, Sorry, of course. Guys. Let's get I'm, into some deeper ground. I'm used to doing this stuff as a duo, and so I'm I might require some prompting. Oh. Um, <laughs> you got that cream, Jer? <laughs> <laughs> Wait for whose booty? It's, it's called uh, it's called anal ease. It numbs the pain. That with a little isobutyl nitrate, and we're set. If you need to ease in it, we'll start with the sounds. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was a post cream, not a preparation cream. Oh jeez. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> we okay. need the drum roll. So um, let's say. We know nothing about alternative theories. Were you aware that California was once an island? Well, I thought Galveston was, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, do tell. We did not know that. Okay, so uh, California used to regularly flood until the giant water project that we did up north. We diverted to Columbia, all of this. But even before it used to flood, California can be seen in maps all the way up into the eight, eight, the early 1800s as being completely isolated. 
And uh, what's strange about this isolation is, you know, not only are there many names that they refer to the island proper as, uh, the two most prominent names that you can find for the north and south portions of the island of California is the Carolinas. Oh, and that's interesting. And the Carolinas uh, were home to <laughs> the Black Amazons, to Khalifa, the goddess that uh, in the 70s Whoopi Goldberg was her, and now Beyonce is her. This was California. All right, I'm tracking with you. And let's just skip around. Let's talk about what that could mean if California was an island. Well, if California was an island, then that would mean that there's a stretch of water that goes through Death Valley. And that would mean that the west coast of America proper is Utah. Which is really strange because if Utah is the westernmost landmass of the continent, then the Mormons going out to Salt Lake City and building their temple has a strange correlation to the direct geographical description of a famous temple. And do you guys know what the uh, what the Mormon temple is fashioned to look like? Temple of Solomon? Exactly. That was Which is really guess, strange. By the way. Oh, no, it's, so it's spot in this... on. There's a bath that is held aloft by 12 metal bowls. Yeah, that's underground. Bowls. That's where they do the baptism <clears throat> to the dead down there. But so if that's the western coast and California is an island, is Washington and Oregon included as California? Or are they include what happened to Washington and Oregon and say, even say British Columbia? This depends on the maps because the maps, uh, they feature a little differently. Almost always, at least the southern half of Oregon is separate from the earth or from the continent proper. And sometimes it is uh, Oregon and Washington all the way up into B.C., about halfway. Um, imagine Florida, but upside down. And that's the top of California in some of these maps. But it's really strange. While, while almost all of the maps of the rest of the world maintain a specific accuracy um, and quite a high level of accuracy, the maps of California differ so greatly. And I think this has to do with, with the great upwelling. And um, if you're unfamiliar with the term the Younger Dryas event. Um, this is just a change in glaciation and an upwelling of water from aquifers underneath directly after the glaciation fell off. Okay. And so it's, we, we think that actually the shape of California was malleable, that it changed so often. And this is why the maps show no consistency in the exact shape of the island and kind of like we see it today is baja included in all that um sometimes baja is which is really strange because you don't you don't really see any mountainous areas in baja so i don't i don't see geographically how it could have been a part of the island at one time and then not unless something actually happened 
but it's really Very strange. Interesting. This is intriguing. And California and Shasta, of course, are replete with all the stories of Moo and the Hollow Earth or the Honeycomb Earth. And we Makes actually me think of uh, Tammy Wynette singing Moo Moo. <laughs> the, the, I love that song so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the KLF. That was the band. But just one, one little fact and facet makes so many other things so much more interesting. California was once separated from the continent by water. We actually have a lot of photos and lithographs of at least minor flooding. Sacramento proper, um, what we call Old Town Sac now, it, um, it used to flood anywhere from 8 to 28 to 32 feet every couple years. And this happened all the way up until the 1860s, where the last photos of that are known. So when we start getting into like the 1860s, aren't we starting to talk about the last reset? Um, or am I way weird. off here? It's no, actually, these these questions are hard to answer without ascribing to a specific theory. So, like, if you're talking to Graham Hancock, you're going to get a straight answer first thing. Or, like, asking a flat earth or a round earth question, they have these, you know, quick fire responses ready. But if you consider all of it, talking points, it's harder. It, yes. Yes. It's harder to do it without parroting it. The 1800s yeah. were such a crazy time yes. that before. Before Andrew Jackson's reign of terror, <laughs> before his presidency, there was a different type of stability in the text and in the behaviors of the populace of this continent. And then after that end times scare that they had, which coincides with the last, the last at least minor reset that we had in the 1800s, then we pick back up in the 1830s, like nothing ever happened. You mean the 1930s? No, the 1830s. There's okay, a... so we went from the 1860s backwards. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, Andrew Jackson. Uh, so, as far as Wait, when you, you were talking, my bad. I'm sorry. There's yeah, yeah. So, uh, Andrew Jackson's presidency was what years? Do you Jerry, guys remember 1895-190? Jerry's on that case no. for the exact details, so we don't speculate. <clears throat> 1829 to 1837. <clears throat> okay, so these the are... The seventh president, lawyer, planter, general, and statesman who served as the seventh president. There you go. So this gentleman oversaw what I think personally um, was the last great recent. But all of the events with California being an island seem to have stopped almost 100 years before. That's all. We, I got confused about the, uh, the reset part. No, the, well, um, I think so the end of California being an island uh, in any measure of the word was when, um, when we diverted the Columbia and did that massive water project down into California. But Okay, so why I ask this question, and, and most people will know, the 1860s, this is, you know, the Civil War, 
and yeah. all that with Lincoln and all that. But why I asked that question is later on, up more towards the end of that century, we started to have all these orphanages and people, and we have, there's lots of, there's lots of really credible evidence about them. I mean, there's, they're, they're talked about in publications and there's so much there. And I've been curious about that in the Cabbage Patch Kids and all this stuff from the turn of that century that is mysterious to me. And then as we move into that whole last like Spanish flu and that period looks kind of resetish, resetting, like where were all the, why did we have so many kids? What's going on with this Cabbage Patch thing? And, um, and then, you know, people ascribe that to some sort of a reset there. Um, historically, even to the most normie norms in the entire world, there's a simple explanation for the orphanages. Um, as for the amount of them, it's insane. Uh, so we were mid-genocide uh, with the people who were here before the Anglos came over en masse. Sure. <clears throat> and we sell children because child labor and slave labor is still a thing. Even after the abolition of, of slavery or so-called, um, that was still a thing. And so we have all these displaced children taken from their families. And uh, the famous talking point is that in France, they boasted having sold 40,000 in one year, sold 40,000 children. Like yeah. give, giving a dowry so that you can have a child, okay. How different is that from modern day adoption though? It's not, it's just. More open. It's really crazy because uh, the famous Jim Jeffries joke is, I think it was Jim Jeffries. Um, the black ones are cheaper. <laughs> oh lord have mercy. <laughs> so all right so, but it's the great population shuffle when you want to take when you out say the black neighbor... ones are we talking about the irish because remember the irish had to come and they had to turn into whites i mean there's that whole book how the irish became white <laughs> it's a historical thing it's a metaphor though there's actually, i know um... i understand that jer but it's still they were really low on the totem pole Oh, yeah, Irish wars. Yeah, they got fucked around. It wasn't until the Baconian Rebellion back in the day that the Irish were even elevated above the status of blacks. Because That's they what kept, I'm saying. They kept pairing together and running through the countryside, killing slave owners and killing landowners, and they had to find a way to separate them. So they said, at least you guys believe in God, <laughs> so will you help us put down the other ones? And the Irish took to it. I mean, despite near 300 years of subjugation at that time. You can yeah. find more information about that in the book called White Cargo. I'm sure they offered Possibly... whiskey or something. So. <laughs> well, no, they it, offered them is... a little bit better sleeping quarters. Yes, yeah, right. They just. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, historically, the idea of the great population shuffle is really easy to understand. You defeat your neighbor. You take their children. You sell those children into bondage. And, and so now you don't have sons and daughters coming after you 20 years later. 
then you allow the slaves you capture to fight on the front lines while you go for their neighbor and repeat the process. And so over the course of a couple centuries, uh, you can completely shuffle the population. And people forget where they came from. They really do. Oh, yeah. That's well, that's one of the bigger reasons why I don't trust these Ancestry.com and, and all those things. I know I can only trace my ancestry back to like the late 1800s <clears throat> when my hey. great-grandparents came over from Syria. And that's it. There's nothing before that that I can find. So, See, they were probably in the orphanages. I don't think so. Because there's a lot of woo around this, Jerry. And I think orphanages... Um, people today think of orphanages back then as being the same way they are now. It's kind of like the logical fallacy where you attempt to judge the actions of a thousand years ago by the morals of today's culture. Like they do not equate. Orphanages are just where they held them until they could sell them. That was it. Well, and that's what is houses if they needed labor. And that's what is so juicy about the whole cabbage patch thing and and the rose, you know, the cabbage rose and the roses as well. And all the postcards and all, you know, in the books and on, on the ledgers and stuff like that. And even that video, uh, the first movie reels that we were seeing with this stuff around that time, the turn of the century. This stuff's very intriguing when you start actually looking at the hard data and trying to extrapolate why what is the narrative here and that's that's one of the things that's impossible to put together because so much obfuscation came in the form of updating our mode of thought um and it it went to the point where we forgot the old mode of thought completely like uh the amount of updating that we've done in public libraries and in school libraries, where we've just taken the old books and burned them. Um, nowadays, it's a treat if you can find a book before 1947, because the the explanation of the times, if you can read between the lines, lends so much more credence to the world back then. I. I'm an antiques person and I've had several stints in my life of dealing antiques and, and I grew up with um, grandparents that were antique dealers. So I have had spent my life around very old things and I have a very good library of old things as well. And that stuff is, is amazing. And the stuff you read in those are amazing. And the thing that's, really nerve-wracking now is everything that is in digital form just like we saw with netflix they just they automatic update stuff by editing it for the moment for the times and it's the new form of book burning really it's ruined disney you actually have to buy the old vhs's to hear the original songs go on netflix you'll you'll find a lot of the songs are edited the opening song from uh, Aladdin, uh, the best lines are just gone. Yeah, they are. And Which, that was a great, great soundtrack too. Yeah, it was. Um, but we're we're constantly doing that. Iconoclasm is the one thing you can count on as an empire changes. Um, 
China is the best at it, but but we're doing it too. Uh, there's there's even new forms of it. Uh, the Hot Tea Trust. Have you heard of this? What uh, was that, Nathan? Hot Tea yeah, Trust. Yeah, I have Hot Tea. H O T. Oh, the Hot Tea Trust. It's it's um Hathi. H A T H I. Yes. Oh, yes. the Hot Tea Trust. Uh, they're digitizing collections in universities and internationally, and you have to be a member of the university to gain access to these books. And you can no longer get hard copies once it's been digitized, but the checkout limit is one. So if I have a digital book, you want that digital book for the time that you have that digital copy in your possession, no one else can possess a copy. Although digitally, you have the power to let a million people see it. And it's really strange. But at the but same the, time, the conceivably, conceivably, though, once it is digitized there, you know, this is an honor system because those in control will have the power to change what's written. And it's done all the time. It can be so subtly and the boards of director and all that do switch and do, you know, move around. So this is kind of like an honor system, in my opinion. It's like that line Napoleon said once was a history is, is, is a lie agreed upon by men. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's right. And it's, it's actually a, a strange thing to see history go the way it's going right now because we have people who are so hell-bent in the world today on calling their recent ancestors evil and demonizing entire groups of people for the recent history we have, and yet we'll cite that history and believe it to be true. Don't get me started on all this. I've <laughs> I rant like, let me, left and right about all this. Let me quote my villain. So I'm even with current events, you can look at them in a historical mindset. When has this happened? How's this happened? Uh, but the weird stuff we have no explanation for. Um, you were talking about the babies and the orphan trains, but surely you've seen the incubators in the fairs. Well, that's part of that's part of that whole situation, the incubators and see that whole cabbage patch thing is tied into all this. The best I can think personally is that children of a different race or with no backing, uh, much like in Great Expectations, were sponsored. Basically, um, you're my pet. And it's not by Miss Havishan. <laughs> no, and <laughs> not even by a rich criminal. No. Um, we're still doing that completely. Um, of course, with the whole Haiti DR thing with Laura Silsby, you can see that happening. But that happens in, in Guinea, in Venezuela. Uh, all through South America. Like I, I have a daughter. I'm never, ever bringing her to Brazil. She's going to be 30 before we go to Brazil ever. And there's, there's places where that's still widespread, but there's no explanation for it in the 18th century. Well, there's a lot of people don't realize this. And I know this because 
because I grew up around antiquities and old things and all knowing this, but in the Victorian period, so, you know, we're looking at the 1860s ish and up into really the high 1880s for sure, but it did carry on in some places later. They would dress boys and girls clothing and there's a lot and and you see this they're in the photos it's absolutely was a common practice and the folklore around that was that they would keep them the boys protected because they would get snatched up to work in coal mines and all this stuff real easily the boys they put to work and so you know this is one of those things that that history, well, a lot of people don't know about, first of all, and looking in their old photo albums, you know, they think that's whatever great-grandmother Mildred when it's great-grandfather <laughs> Harry, right? Which doesn't make sense. It still doesn't make sense. Because if you're going to steal a child, there's two main reasons, for work and for sex. And so if you dress them all up like the sexable type, they'll still be stolen. So it, it, it's so strange. And I think a part of me wants to think that they just dress these kids up in gowns because gowns are cheap. Richer parents had trousers, but then you see rich photos where the boys are still dressed like girls. Yeah. It's oh, not in like the everyone fancy, could afford in the a fancy photo. stuff. Right. Yeah, and so, so it, I mean, but these are the same families that are propping up their dead in photos as well. They're they're dressed and they're propped up like they're sitting or standing. Yeah. These aren't just casket shots. These are post-mortem. And, not, and this is like you'll have the whole family around dead papa sitting in the chair, right? And a lot of times the telltale is you can see well, the stiff legs, or you can see them being propped up on a stand. I mean, they're out there. I had a huge collection of this postmortem stuff. And so these were things that people in our modern world were like, well, the, those funny Victorians, right? That, you know, they had an obsession with death and they had this weirdness about their kids and, and these traditions. But I think there's actually more going on there. Well, okay, so if you could give an, an exact year for when it started, what year would you give? Let's for say you when, just had to wing what, it. the reset started? No, for when that trend became popular. Just throw well, out just, a year. I'm going to say it was probably in the 1860s because we start seeing the great mourning traditions, but... Okay. I am not solid in any of this, Nathan. I am. I'm very fluid with all this. Oh yeah, and you I have just to have a lot of photos cannot, from that period. You, you, it's unwise to ascribe to an idea when you haven't been able to consider all of them. Uh, so consider this: When did the rediscovery of Egypt set a fire under the asses of Europeans? the same decade that this death culture started. And what, what did that all come from? We find all of these structures and we find people living in them, in what we call Egypt today. And we ask the locals, what is all this? Where did it come from? And the locals tell the Englishmen, uh-uh. 
They literally said, I don't know. Me and my children have been living here. Our family's been living here for a couple hundred years. We don't know where this came from. Yes. So yeah. with the rise and resurgence of this comedic trend that is now Egyptology in Egypt and I mean, even with, with Lincoln's embalming, it all stormed the world. It became another fad. But at the same and, time, what did they actually find? And see, this is the thing why I am most comfortable just dating this into that, the tintype era and all the, you know, these early photos, because before that we have to rely on like woodcuts and drawings and going back to hieroglyphs and petroglyphs and all that. But photos are just such a very tangible thing to look at. And we're still able to source those, so many of those. Um, and so this is the only thing I feel like secure about because I know I have these in my collection. I can look at them. Not only that, but I have them in my family's tradition. I've got, I've got dead Dead, you know, the dead relative photo thing is never stopped, but the way that the Victorians in particular propped them up and would put the family around them or, yeah. you know, put them in scenes and stuff where they're, they're cadavers is very particular and very unique. These are outside of the coffin. <laughs> they're well, they're like so in strange. scenes, in vignettes, very strange. And then you might have Uncle Harry in a Victorian dress as well. So you start to see how Chaz Adams came around in the mid-century, last mid-century and started producing some of the, in his book, Black Maria, started producing some interesting stuff out of that era from just looking at those artifacts. And then, and, you know, that's the birth of the Adams family. And it's interesting how uh, he presented that as opposed to what people think the Adams family is now. Um, <laughs> this, this was a whole different dialogue that he was bringing forward with the kind of macabre weirdness of the Victorians. This it's also strange that over the last 15 years that's happened again in America, the exact same trends that you see um, the beatific death poses, the, mortuary fascination but not not out of some sick perversion it seems uh, normal laudable especially in the art world and the fashion world um, but how far back could we trace that now i could understand in the 1800s um, a family that before we learned relearn the arts of embalming a family being forced to just put their child in the ground and then a rich family hears that their child died and so they can have their child dressed up and they can take one last nice photo and remember them as they were i mean sure yeah if morals were different mm -hmm. certainly um, it's still strange and creepy today i don't know that i could reconcile that with today's culture but we still do do it today if you it don't put me under a tree, do not open my casket. 
Well, you, you know, and then we look at different ideas of burials all along any culture, but I've always really enjoyed the Roma burials where they bury them standing. There's even that book, Bury Me Standing. And uh, and out here in Washington, where we both are, there are some places where there are standing graves from allegedly Roma people. The graves are there and the, uh, you know, these are, there've been, um, I guess, what is it? Ultrasound or whatever there, you know, it's, it's proven that they're in there standing. Yeah. And we know that's a tradition that goes for real to the Roma people as people might want to call them gypsies. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, these different rites are interesting. One of the things that has always intrigued me with the Mormons and their baptism of the dead right where they prepare the young brides or they prepare the young ones to uh well to they prepare their vessels to take on the soul or spirit of whomever they're caught conjuring forth in that bath that you were talking about earlier with yeah. all of the you know i mean this is this stuff is is very intriguing to me nathan and it, there as far as i'm concerned there are more questions than we have answers at this point oh yeah it's you can't look at anything without walking away with twice as many questions as you started with that is so true that's a good seeker i agree with you that's the best way to be though i mean do you need to have an answer all the time because most time and an answer leads to dogma yes well, and then we we encounter those people out there that their truth is the only truth, and and this is it. That by God, this is it. I've done all the research. You don't need any more, and I've got all the answers. And um, you know, but those those kinds of people that come off from that angle that build cults up around them, it, it intrigues me because how is it that people want to give away this curiosity and this idea of wonderment in trying to piece together where we are, where we've been, what's going on, what are these traditions, how does this all play with the bigger picture here, and is there a connection between these things? And I'm always seeing that there more things are connected. I believe everything's connected on some level, but things that are apparently not connected somehow are connected and we just haven't asked the right questions or found the right evidence to bridge that because as we were talking about earlier look at how everyone's always trying to wipe out the path well there are things that you can know without having to know the exactitude you know how to take a right-hand turn in a car without knowing the exact speed you need to go for the diameter of this, the, the curve that you're in. And so there's a way to approximate an understanding uh, without having to have a, a finite answer to it. And one of the worst things that you can tell somebody in their entire lives is good job. How do we mollify a people that are that are mad at a certain thing that's been done to them. We create a scapegoat. We persecute that scapegoat and we tell the crowd, good job. And then they stop because they think the problem's solved. That's and collectivism. Then, yes. The heart, the heart of collectivism. Yeah. And 
that problem is the same the world over with information like history or astronomy, astrology, oceanography, uh, volcanosophy, philosophy is a, maybe a rare exception, but nobody ever searches for an answer that they think they already know. And so nobody ever learns. And so when you tell someone we've already explored the old world, Truman, <laughs> you see what that leads to. Yeah. And so I, I think that questions might be the best thing for anybody. We Question, yeah, yep. I can't agree with you more. I mean, this is, you're speaking my language here. So let's look at this. Let's go deeper into what we're talking about here, though. So we're talking about resets of where we think we've been and resets of of where we think we're going. Because right now, conceivably, Nathan, it looks like we could be, I mean, everyone knows about the Great Reset and, and Schwab's vision and all this. But at the same time, look what's going on. There's a lot of genociding going on. There's a lot of uh, changeover with financial systems going on. There's what looks to be some sort of re-terrification of the, the realm going on. I mean, does this not look like we're in one? I don't think we ever left the last one. I think it's unending. It's just a part of the cycle. The only argument that you could have to say there's more murder and genocide in the world today is that you think there's more people in the world today. And well, I disagree. Recent LIDAR scans that were maybe a decade old in the Amazon and uh, let's say Brazil. Uh, looks like the architecture they found in Brazil with LIDAR scans about 10 years ago is enough architecture to have housed around 60 million people that they say just never existed there. Stories of the Portuguese going up to that coast and trying to keep it a secret, um, but then going there a year later and finding none of the population that they said that they found the first time because they're all dead. Now, this, this cycle that we're in, I don't think any portion of it specifically ends. It's not like uh, it's night one second and day the next, and you can see the terminus and the shade withdraws in a straight line. You just find yourself in the day or the pervasive gloom. Welcome to America. The pervasive yeah. gloom. But no, not even it, welcome to the realm in yeah. general. So, yeah. Well, it's a death realm. I spent I spent uh, a little over a year self-apprenticed, you could say, <laughs> just trying to help out a man who is now a good friend. Uh, because one day I decided to see how far back I could go to try to find the word of God. And I mean the Abrahamic God. We'll just clarify that right there. The demon but... Yahweh? <laughs> Y'all the both? Yes. But I went back as far as I could, and in the end, I couldn't find anything that hadn't already been translated by the Masoretes. You guys know the Masoretes? No, do tell. The Jews of the Mazora. The... So bring us up into this. 
the Amora and the Tanish, the wise men and sages um, of the Jewish people. It is said in text, they formed the Mazora, and the Mazora, uh, M-A-S-O-R-A-H. This has been contested until just a couple decades ago, when they pretended that they unified the Masoretic translations of the original Hebrew texts. The only problem is there exists no copies of the Hebrew text sans Mazorah. Now, the marks and dots and dashes that they put on this Hebrew text is called the Nikudot or the Nikud. Now, this tells you whether that word means donkey or roller coaster. Now, how did they ever read that without the dots and dashes? People say, oh, they grew up with the language, so they know the dots and the dashes. They're putting them there for you. The only problem is, all the way back to Prester John, all the way back to two centuries after Christ, they could not agree. They have never agreed on the dot-dash system until very, very recently, where they put up a brand new unified front. This is even pre-Kazar. I'm watching the chat too. <laughs> are we are we looking at the Essenes? I, I the the Kazars I was saying that were the name stealers. At least that's what Cliff High claims. Hey, Cliff High's got some interesting Antarctica stuff. I remember him from a road trip four years ago. Yeah, he does. But, he does. But we digress. Um, so, in essence, I'm looking for the word of God that the Jews haven't touched. And you can't find it. Why can't you find it? Now, you have a, a wealth of people the world over who mistrust the people who they say killed their Christ. And in evidence of that mistrust, point to a book that is translated by the people who killed their Christ. That doesn't make sense. Remember, I was talking about the, the blind adherence to texts by people who claim to be their enemies. So I found a man. I found one man who is translating the Proto-Hebrew. And the Proto-Hebrew is closest to the script of the Oberim. Uh, the the tribe of Ober, or Ober. And the website is called the Obri Project, O-B-R-Y and project with a K, dot org. Um, his name is Jonathan Machtimus, or Machtims, however you like to say it. And the things that he found and the things that I was able to help him find, um, they change, they kind of change everything about recent history and i spent a good amount of time looking at languages to try to further decipher this and so yeah that ate up a year of my life well give us more i'm on the edge of my seat here literally okay um imagine we have words today that are phonetic thanks phoenicia um <laughs> which means that this symbol makes this sound. We also have words that are pictographic, which you could call hieroglyphs. Um, but then there's a third type of, of text, and this is called the ideogram. It's ideographic. It's where a picture conveys an idea, 
like um only recently have we begun using ideographs again because they are simply put the best way to convey language between two people who have a shared experience and that's called the emoji we have emojis now and we speak in emojis all the time everybody knows when i say this guy and i do an eggplant emoji and then a water emoji you know yes. exactly what i mean yeah the only problem with an ideogram is that somebody growing up 200 years in the past or in the future is going to look at that and they will puzzle over that until the day they die because they have not shared our experience, which is the best way to share language. And so what we found through correlation and through a lot of Jonathan's hard work is that these glyphs from Proto-Hebrew without the Masoretic Nikudot, um, seem to be ideographic and uh just like just like uh, the rabbis today say there's a vulgar meaning and there is a deep intrinsic meaning to the text as well so while we may be lost to the deeper meaning we at least have the vulgar meaning of the obery uh for for instance the word for brick in the Hebrew version of, we could say Exodus, anywhere where you see brick. Um, brick actually doesn't mean brick. It is a specificity drawn from a general term, meaning to build. Now, the problem with it is, as soon as we get to, um, as soon as we get to the Obery, it takes on a more specific meaning thanks to the glyphs used and how they've been cross-referenced. So imagine if the Hebrews in captivity weren't bricklayers and uh, stucco and spackler guys, but brick actually meant lumber or wood. What would that make every Hebrew? That would make them lumberjacks. What the hell is a lumberjack doing in the desert? Or carpenters. Carpenters as well. Because the translation of structure. Sure, 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 sure. I'm, I've heard this also about uh, Joseph, Jesus's father, being a carpenter, which was mistranslated from the original meaning, which was mason. Yes, and he actually may still have been a mason, mm -hmm. but the direct glyph translation. Um, although we call it brick or stone, uh, originally in, in the language wood. of Ober was wood. Yeah. And it's really strange because even 2000 years ago, um, the Lebanese pine or not Lebanese pine, the Lebanese cedar mm -hmm. would have been the biggest tree in the area. Mm -hmm. And yes. there were not enough of them to go around. And it's not good wood to build structures from either. It's too soft. Not at all. You would have to flash it and pitch it yep. and leave it to dry. And, yep. and it just, it does not equate. And so the long and short of it, uh, Jonathan has a theory that the more I think about it, the more I ascribe to it, uh, that the Bible did not happen where they said it did. And I'm sure you guys have heard this before. No, actually. 
I, well, have, I, have. I mean, I have heard that it was like maybe somewhere in Eastern Europe, right? Oh, that's a big one, uh, especially yeah. from the proponents of the uh, those who say the Vikings were the true Jews. Yeah, nothing uh, about the Middle East and the Scots. Yeah. What about? No, it does. Yeah, that's going around a lot right now. What about how the Star of David is not really mentioned anywhere in in the Hebraic? version uh i mean this this whole idea that the star of david is the jewish star is an intriguing thing to me right now and people questioning that when there's no hard evidence in in the old testament about it well there's a lot of things that aren't in the new, the old testament that you would think they would put in there and not well, something like, like what's the star the cut of, of David because that's that is, normal. It should right, be significant. This is a big deal because we're talking about a this symbol that that is totally hundred percent related to the Jewish people and obviously to David and Solomon and all this. I mean, yes, from a, a magical perspective, but from the viewpoint of the abrahamic god no exactly more for magic more for demons more for mysticism uh, for knowledge which, which is, is more kabbalah and... isn't that more of that lay yes. or vein well i mean before new age supplanted old religion i'm fairly certain that the mixture of the abrahamic god with the kabbalah was the new was the old new age kind of a cherry pick so but... i have a question for you here actually nathan i was listening to some of these translations of some of these rabbis i've talked about this a little bit here and there and this kind of blew my mind i did not know this so i i really am a neophyte when it comes to ancient jewish stuff i just am learning as i go here and one of the things i've been shocked by and I've had to ask, I have friends in Israel that were born there and that speak, you know, you have to speak Hebrew there. And so I've asked for, you know, are these translations accurate, et cetera, because none of it's in English. But yeah. these Jews are talking about this narrative where they come from another place like parasites, basically, and invade this as a realm to take it over. What is all this? Can you? Yeah, this is this is their mission given to them by their father and they come in and and to be honest i haven't dug into that so much because even to me that's woo and i'm i'm on some woo stuff but i feel like that's a but new the, but these, yeah but the thing is these really these a lot of rabbis are talking about this and, oh, and they course, are but... actually talking i mean this is a situation that's giving an origin story that is way different than I ever heard. And it plays into definitely a lot of woo I have that I was unfamiliar with until I just, you know, just a few months ago, actually. Well, are you, are you, you're familiar with the Nag Hammadi and the old Coptic script, right? Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So this, this even unto the, 142 angels and their direct names and the correlations for the parts of the body uh, this speaks of a 
a more meta idea, a more ethereal idea, which is actually quite strange because when you look at old works like Plotinus, you, you wonder at the leap that people took when thinking of that versus thinking of, you know, a world beyond our physical reality in the Nag Hammadi. Um, but how well that translates to what they say today, you have to wonder, are they using this or is it something they truly believe? Because just like any other political body, all words out of the mouth could be a political tool. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And as far as the principalities, I mean, it's that is still a relatively new idea. And you don't find these rabbis talking about this before the discovery of the Nag Hammadi. And then the a Angelic couple years group, later, the principality. Yes, yeah. Yeah. You don't really find that. And in fact, since the collective genocide of the early esoteric Christians, you don't find anything outside of more typical thought, uh, except those held by the inner circles of those who practice Jewish mysticism. So like a lot of people like to call them Gnostics, but I mean, it's okay. They didn't call themselves that they were early esoteric Christians and it wasn't one group. I mean, you, you could look at the Valentinians, sure, but we're talking about two or 300 disparate groups of what they would have then called pagans because they didn't believe the official, uh, the official adopted faith. And with their death came the death of all of this thought for the populace for centuries. Also, um, where is it? You asked a question in the chat. What's with all the Ethiopians who look, who think they're true Israelites? That was me. They never, ever called it Africa. It was all Ethiopia. So when they rediscovered the Ethiopians and discovered that the Ethiopian Bible, or as we say, Africa, that their Bible had 88 books still, and 88 is the esoteric number of completion, 88 constellations in the sky, all that. Yeah, um, yeah. the 88's a big deal. It makes you, it really makes you wonder who's putting these ideas in people's head because I'll troll TikTok for conspiracy theories, and that's been popping up over the last three weeks where Ethiopians and Africans claim Jewish descent and they claim they are the diaspora and rabbis have tested them and are finding that they are Jewish, in fact, which is really strange because it's hotly contested amongst the clergy in Israel because they don't want to let them into Israel and they're trying to come there en masse. You want to fill up Israel with Israelites, you have all the Ethiopians you could ask for and they won't take them. Every Israeli that I'm friends with, Israeli born, uh, uh, all I hear is a lot of real racism towards anyone black skin. Like that's, they don't want that. And so I think this is a good place to maybe look at the separation in the different types of Jewishness. There's the Cathars and then there's the Ashkenazi, which I guess are supposed to be the most nasty. Those are the ones that, from what I'm learning now, those are the invaders. Those are the the, the interdimensional invaders that have come to take over this space. Those are the ones that are not Jews, 
but are hiding amongst the Jewish people. And I, I've been looking at this through scholarship and, and having to, um, I don't, I don't speak Hebrew. So I have to ask people for these translations. I'm like, is this correct? What are you seeing here? And this is kind of what I keep learning that when they talk about, um, the Zionists, they're talking about the Ashkenazi. Well, I could believe it if I didn't know information about the Sephardim. And right, What's that's another first, sect. So, see, I don't first know. Tactic. Um, and we're just going to draw a couple points of logic, and they're probably full of holes. But the first tactic if you have something hidden in a place, you want to make sure that people don't think it is where it is. So there's there's my line of thought for the Holy Land. Now, also, if you want someone to persecute a villain, you make someone look like a villain while you get away with it. Yes, absolutely. This is, it's, this is a it's big coming, deal. <laughs> I'm coming into the idea and I can't say I have all of the information. <laughs> of course, I'll be dead before I do. But I'm coming into the idea that the Sephardim have been for centuries now using the Ashkenazim as a scapegoat, a thug arm. And famous, ex famous examples of Sephardic rabbis, look at them. They do not look Jewish. In fact, they look, if anything, a little bit German. Rothschild, Mr. Red Shield himself, is the most famous Sephardim in the world, and he doesn't look Jewish. When you look at Alicia Silverstone, you don't know that she is actually of Sephardic descent. She's full blood on this. But some look like South Americans, too. I mean... Yes. Um, actually, uh, so the... The transplants to South America are a complete different group unless they've remixed with the Sephardim. It's a little different. Like the Mitzrayim are uh, those who stayed in, in and around North Africa and in the lands that the Arabs took. And so there's, there's actually a lot of different types. Um, but the ones expelled from the Iberian Peninsula went on to found the Dutch East Indies Company. They were at the head of Portugal when Portuguese ships from the 12 to 1400s were without fail, the first ships anywhere. You look at Brazil, you look at Japan, who got there first? Portugal, always. And so I, I'm coming to the belief that while the world persecutes Ashkenazi Jews and they may, they may do some bad stuff, hell yeah. Um, I think you're fighting the sub boss and you're not fighting the big boss. I think that's what it is. We're, we're so busy with the minions. We can't see the shade in the curtain. Thank you. That's what I'm trying to get at is where does this go? Where does, and moreover, where does that hidden hand, if you will, reside? Is that within the realm or extra realm? You know, that's, that's my big question. Well, how far away from how far away from provable fact do you want to get? Oh, because no facts it's, are it's, provable. <laughs> I know on. it's so it is actually easier to come up with an ethereal answer than 
Absolutely. Who controls oh, no. the world? Yeah, I, I, because you could shout, you could shout Black Pope, or you could say Black Nobility forever. But really, the Archons and Principalities, um, even before Jung took the word Archon and made the word Archetype, um, things that control from beyond, you're never gonna know. You're never gonna know. Right, right. We're never gonna know. I just, I'm... but as far, you just what? Sorry. No, no, no. I was gonna say, I just my my gut feeling is that it's not. That there, there's a level of control outside of humanity that drives these people. Well, recent studies have been showing things that we have always called hokey ever since uh, current scientism and dogma has come into being. We used to hold seances. We used to believe in ghosts and the voices of the dead. Spiritual. We used to huge. believe. Yes. And. And then we decided that we were too good for it. And I think that's the greatest trick the devil ever pulled so it's, far. It's deeper than that. It was the, <clears throat> you can go back further. This is my opinion. You go back further and look at where science and uh, religion split. When organized religion came about and split off from quote unquote science before then, they were two, they were one and the same thing. You couldn't do. You couldn't be a scientist without it also being highly spiritual. Yes. Um, you know, that's what ancient alchemy was all about. Uh, in addition to other, other professions. But once organized religion came in and split science up, that's when we started to only the, you know, it took a while for that to get fully stamped out. And I think spiritualism was like one of the last gasps of that merged science spiritual uh, paradigm yeah most certainly yeah i mean the the death of the shaman yes what did we 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 killed one man and replaced him with two exactly and one's full we, of shit yes and in our own esoteric way i mean you look at anything hollywood and it is the death and perversion of the divine feminine as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. and so we've killed the nurturer the mother the healer the mystic um, the guide and instead replaced it with dull answers and this is this is actually historically pretty normal to take any form of knowledge away from the plebs of course then you can rewrite it yourself it only takes two or three exactly. generations till it's gone and you have, one. A, you have a clean slate one. yeah these days one for sure it, it's it's actually scary how fast it can go but when I think about the things I know, when I We're say witnessing AOL, that now, <laughs> yeah, when I say AOL to a twenty-year-old, they're like, "What's owl?" What? No, they go, "No, it's AOC." <laughs> you mean AOC? AOC. <laughs> well, I'm seeing people needing to tell others who, just in pop culture, who Andy Warhol is. And, you know, that's just <laughs> yeah. drop. Uh, that's mind-blowing to me because he was like the biggest pop culture. I mean, he actually termed that. And so it, it's just this level of forgetfulness or never knowing because they're not learning this. It's it's taking a lot of effort for young people to be able to. Well, first of all, we're not 
producing a lot of people that read now because they don't need to. So, but to want to look back and now if we're scrubbing the records and we're changing the narrative yet again, what are, you know, we've got a ball of confusion here and a lot of vitriol that has been obviously set up for this event we're in right now. Well, now we're just in, we're just in another phase of it. It's the unending revolution. The only problem now is something that Alvin Toffler first talked about in the fifties. And we, we went through future shock and future shock being an inundation of information so much that rather than inspire action, it inspires inaction to freeze the deer in the headlights with, even if it is true, so much disparate information, the mankind either goes mad from the revelation or flees to the peace and safety of a new dark age. Sorry, I'm attending to chat. Oh, no worries. Well, one of the things like with the Jewish people thing is, you know, I've had Jewish friends all over and a lot of Russian Jews that are genetically Russian, right? Or whatever that is, and genetically Polish. In fact, there's a huge amount of Polish Jews in Israel, and those are the friends I have, uh, I mean, they're born in Israel, but their genetic history is Polish. So they, they even look it and, uh, and all the Russian going back Jews, how far? Well, th we don't know, but gen according to DNA testing, they're genetically, even though they've come religiously through their mother's side, right. To be Jews and they're in Israel and all this, but their genetic heritage is actually you know, Polish. And so, and this is what's intriguing because in, in like say DNA testing, like Jerry tested in is Ashkenazi. So that's actually something that comes up in, in the, in the genetic testing. And so this stuff's all confusing to me because of looking at where Jewish people are across the board of genetics is interesting that the Ashkenazi come into the picture, but these other types of Jewishness seem to not be on that board. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm actually grasping for answers through all this because again, I, as I said earlier, I'm a neophyte with all this. That, so it's really weird. What you call Polish today wasn't Polish 400 years ago. What you call I, yeah, which Hungarian was... today, nobody knows how those people got there. You look right. at their language, nobody knows where they came from. They're surrounded on all sides for a couple thousand miles by a completely different subset of languages and DNA phenotypes and genotypes. But so they're landing where, them in villages. Where we came so, from, like yeah, my namesake is the out of... population shuffle is everywhere i get that and like what i was named after is a village that's now i believe in in poland i think and it wasn't at some point but the, it's been named that village for hundreds of years but it's it's just yeah 
it's moved on. It's basically what I understand Slavic when I look at the DNA stuff there. But, okay. yeah. you know, th these things are all part of what we need to. This is where we find context. How do we parse out what's going on here and now if we can't really understand some of the stuff that gets us to here and now? Through oh, yeah. all this fuckery. Piecing it together is the work of generations. And unfortunately for us, we are not what, what most people would call elite. We think in terms of our next paycheck or our next fiscal year or maybe even our lifetimes. Whereas the successful families, the heads of empires, think in terms of centuries, think in terms of generations. And so the work that we try to do, we have to hope that it gets picked up because we don't have anything like uh, an artisan class or trade system. You know, if I was born to a blacksmith 500 years ago, I'd be a blacksmith and the work is carried on. Now, we don't do that in trade. We don't do that even in thought, form and idea because iconoclasm is so rampant that without the ties of blood, there's nothing to keep successive generations so closely bound to this endeavor. So it's it's quite strange that we've been able to dig up so much as a unit in a single generation and moreover in a single decade on the internet together. It's only been in the past 18 months that we've sort of broken the Cyrillic barrier from a research standpoint because we couldn't get into Russia. We couldn't get the lore. We couldn't get the conspiracy theories. We couldn't get the history documents, the military and government documents. And when we're gone, there may not be anybody to carry this on. That's a scary well, thought. And that's the thing. I remember the moment, and I kind of knew this at one point, but just getting back into this stuff recently, that, you know, Caucasoids allegedly, because all this becomes kind of alleged, you know, they rise right up out of what is now Iran, right? And that's where the Caucasus are. This is where, I guess, the seed of white people, the whiteness seed comes up out of. And today, you know, conceptually, a lot of people don't realize that. And you you can get into some very interesting conversations with people that are very attached to their identity. Oh, that is... That is actually really wild. So that white origin story, it came out. It also came out around the time, you know, was was famous around the time that eugenics was a thing. And when we began to be anti-white as a Western culture, that white origin story was effectively debunked. A million times over. Now, whether the that one actually out of, happened. Out of Persia, the story out of Persia. The whole Caucasus idea, uh, yeah. space for the origin of, of man. And, you know, it was touted as white supremacy. And so now you don't find a lot of people in the mainstream who are going to give that thought any credit, which is, I think, the number one reason why I would give it credit. I wouldn't say that I ascribe to that idea specifically i have a little weirder idea for it but still um even historically in the space of a few decades that idea went from being prevalent to now heretical yes 
Yeah. I mean, this is murky water. It's very, very murky. And I think it behooves everyone to stay weak in the knees with it and, and malleable because everything's been, it's like a cat litter box. Everything's been covered up and, and then re exhumed and then, you know, oh, yeah. And it's of still information. Shit. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. No, it's uh, the origin thing is impossible because where do you pick your start point from? Did humans spring out of the ground 5,000 years ago or 500,000 years ago? And did each different type spring out of a different bush in a different mountainside? And then no, what about the water? Been shuffled. They've the been shuffled. The aquatic ape. <laughs> yeah, they've been shuffled for longer than we even know exists. That's what I think. And so to to have an origin spot, I mean, we might as well go to Terra Infinita. And as far as we but know, it is... very well maybe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But see, this is we should be able to have this conversation and we should be able to look at all the different uh piles of evidence and have these have these discussions without craziness and right now you can't really talk about this in a lot of places because of the the uh i guess the social engineering that is heavy at the moment with division and this this against that and this evildoer against that evildoer and this person was a slave and that one wasn't and you know these kinds of uh I guess, cycles of trauma and triumph. Oh, yeah. And Samuel Clements, once, one time he put down a bottle long enough to say it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. So the group thing really stops a lot of these conversations before they happen. Which was so, also one of the points of uh, the CIA introducing the term conspiracy theorist in the 60s. Same kind of idea. Yeah. Sorry, Nish. Well, that this is where I want to get at with you, Nathan, is currently, what are you thinking? Like, with all this together, everything we've talked about with these kinds of origin stories and where we are now in the never ending game and the never ending cycle uh, and the way the narrative's being shaped right now. What are your thoughts on it? Because there are a lot of people saying a lot of different things and there's a lot of people saying stuff that looks very credible. I see stuff everywhere that looks completely compelling and credible, especially the stuff that a lot of people want to trigger against and, um, and shuffle to the bottom or erase that stuff always intrigues me the most. I am against the, the finite answer completely. So if I were to answer that, I, I'm not looking for like, an absolute. Oh, if, I'm saying where you stand at this moment, we already established that you are a weak in the knees person like the rest of us. What you're, you're right. What I'm wave. really, what I'm really in love with is the idea that someone right now uh, thinks that the things I've been saying is smart and the next person actually knows something. 
actually knows occulted info and is laughing his head off right now, listening to me talk. My entire goal is to find that person, and even if I feel stupid, learn as much as I can from them. So where I think all of this is, I think that there is a set of people in everyday life who have a different history, who know a more accurate history of at least our near uh, ancestors, at least our near ancestors. And you know what they do? They don't say a word because it's for them and their kind and their family. And I think that while we can, we can pontificate until the end of the earth here on YouTube and online and in our forums, I think that the few people who actually know will never say. And that idea makes me, that idea makes me so sad and at the same time, so hopeful. I'm with you hundred percent. And I have a, almost a conviction in that, but I'm going to leave that alone. But when we look at say the idea of Cro-Magnum coming on the scene with Neanderthal, right? So conceptually, and of yeah. course this is a conceptualization, but you know, there's this, did one take over the other? Were they living together? There's all these different stories and um, you know, the stuff that Doc Ram talks about is very interesting. And th- now we're talking a third strand DNA and that something like that may be going on currently. What do you think about all that? Because it ties into all these origin type type threads that are plated into all this or braided, okay. I guess. That I have something definite to. I don't believe in evolution. I am... I'm a proponent of the punctuated equilibrium theory, wherein people go mostly the same until something catastrophic happens and it forces a change. Now, I think this, I think this happened physically. I think it happened psychologically. We know because of things like the KP index and solar weather um, that certain atmospheric effects can affect whether you're psychic or not. On any given day, it's really strange. And for a government that says that they don't believe in that sort of stuff, to have something in existence like the KP index is a little weird. But I think that a lot of us did come up together and we're forced to change together. Now imagine crawling out of the ashes of the upcoming reset and having to live with new different kinds of people. And over a couple centuries, one group ends up killing the next. And that is how we end up every single time. And to say that to say that the dogs are different breeds, but the same species, people are too. And I think that'll See, continue. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I don't I'm not an evolution person either. The missing link's a joke to me. And I do oh, believe it's all pro, oh, I, I know it is. Well, but they still, they will put together a jaw of something. They'll find a jaw of something. They'll make a whole dinosaur out of a jaw. So, I mean, yeah, wow. they've only but found when, one dinosaur skeleton intact. And even that's questionable. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then, but people come up and we have all kinds, we have movies and literature and, mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff that's being sold to us on one bone that somebody had a great imagination and constructed something from. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at the idea of, say, Cro-Magnum coming onto the scene where Neanderthal was looks more plausible to me. I don't see a I think that they are separate and I, but this is just where I am and I feel like there was some sort of I don't know how this happened but there was there's some sort of something that brings this into play just like kind of what seems to be going on right now if you step out of the boundaries far enough to see that something's changing the realm actually changing the nature of the realm and that there seems to be a new type of being coming in i'm talking about stepping way out and this is deep woo but it looks you know to me i'm seeing it and it's not evolution no i don't think it ever was i really don't but as for what's next i mean that's the exciting part isn't it who wants to live forever? Well, there's a whole bunch of people. Connor McLeod does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Freddie. Great song. <laughs> Did you? That reminds me. There was a, an episode of Rick and Morty. Of course, I'm going to relate everything to Rick and Morty. There was an episode of Rick and Morty where uh, it was season five, episode two, I believe. Where it's a really awesome episode i don't want to ruin it but <laughs> it starts out with the whole family getting killed and then another copy of the family rick says oh shit someone killed the decoy family and that just continues to happen over and over and over again in, throughout the episode uh, anyway <clears throat> at the the very end the end credit scene is uh, I don't want to get into the whole thing. One of the one of the subplots of the episode is that when you make a copy of a copy, it's not as good. You know the whole multiplicity idea, right? So some of the decoys are wooden puppets. <laughs> <laughs> They're not actually like clones. And <clears throat> the uh, the one character Jerry, who's who that is a wooden puppet finds a can of varnish and he says, we can escape. We've got varnish. We, we won't get harmed by the weather. So he puts <laughs> all this varnish on and he goes outside and he gets lost. And then he gets attacked by beavers and they add him to a dam, part of him to a dam, <laughs> but he's still alive through all this. And then like years pass and he's hanging in a bar and then years pass and there's cowboys and they burn him <laughs> and then years pass and He's part of a cross that they're nailing a guy to. <laughs> and he's like, you went from cowboys to Christianity? Anyway, throughout that whole, like, one-minute montage, they're playing, do you want to live forever? No. <laughs> it's really funny. That's excellent. I'll find, I, I know it's on YouTube. I'll find it. I love time lapses like that, like the Futurama intro. Yes. What a great show. It's coming back, by the way, Futurama. 
Oh, I hope it comes back like King of the Hill did. Like, almost as good, at least. Yeah, I do too, because this, some of the, uh, the way they broke, nah, I don't get into it, but the way they broke up the 12 seasons into three DVDs or whatever for the yeah. last season was kind of cheesy. Although the D&D one was pretty good, I thought. I had fun with it, but well, I don't have time for those things anymore. Yeah. It's really weird. Same, same. Oh, I found that video. W Wooden Jerry. <laughs> Wooden Jerry. Let's say Rick and Morty thing. So Nathan, just hearing, yeah, you know, we've got a little bit of time left. What? So with all this, and I kind of introduced it earlier with this whole idea of one of the narrative coming out from rabbis is they're from outside this dimension, and the origin stories is invade this dimension and so that also brings in the question of uh, there's many ways to look at that one could go with the aramaic stuff one there's a lot of ways but it does bring into what's colloquially known now as aliens or those that are outside the realm coming into the realm one way or another what are your thoughts on those kinds of others that or technically, or I guess for a better lack of, they're technically not from here in their origin story or in theory. So we look at aliens, right? That's, I think, where the go-to is these days. Well, Jerry says aliens are demons. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I say that, but I'm joking. <laughs> I don't. an Ashkenazi so, Jew. So, okay, here we go. I, um, I, I just want to clarify. I don't believe that they're actually literal demons. I have no idea what the fuck aliens are. I do not believe they exist in the way aliens that people think could, of it. I mean, okay, let's say that... I'm more on the interdimensional traveler side. How's that? Okay. Oh, That's where yes. I am too, Jared. I've always yeah. thought that ghosts were just a frequency thing, and people always thought a ghost is wrong. Like, are you kidding me? Somebody's just hanging out, haunting you, or are you hearing an echo? Or maybe somebody's bleeding through the veil. Like, I thought that from, from the time I was a child, but it depends on what theory you think. Let's say, let's say the Ashkenazi are aliens. Aliens from what? Another dimension? Or maybe from uh, Terra Infinita? Maybe they're from the Pleiades or from Vega. It all depends on what you think. But we can count on two things. And this is the same two things that they've been saying for as long as we have called them a they. I am special and you are a slave. Mm, yes, this is. So no matter what they say, the that's the, that is the heart of what they're saying. I'm special and you're a slave. All of their documentation, all of their actions, all of their scriptures lead to that ultimate end. The chosen. I am special. And you, you are always a slave. Yeah. This this I've always found repugnant, personally. And I don't care who thinks it. And, and you know, Carl Jung really addresses this and and talks about this whole complex, by the way. 
and it's uh it became very much tied into a psychological complex that gets kind of tagged in with the whole schizophrenic idea of you are special and you are um it it can get tied into savior and all this but you're the one or your people are the one and this i think is very sketchy territory to go down psychologically it's hubristic it's absolutely hubristic and it is pure hubris and i mean that's i'm pretty narcissistic in my daily life um but that's because i have good eyebrows like that's it <laughs> but i mean the whole you point you do have of, good eyebrows thank you the whole point of me being in these fields or being in these groups and offering to help out and putting my two cents in is to learn as much as possible, not to make a name for myself. I almost didn't say yes to Jerry because this isn't about me. Uh, I love the idea that, that most Chinese kids grow up with. You're not special. You're just another person. And I'm, and even to the ideas of the gurus. I watched a guru talk to Mike Tyson about how wonderful ignorance was and to live in ignorance rather than to say, I believe. And we're not special. This idea that we have to be special, all of our stories are brand new genre of hallucination called fiction and fantasy and sci-fi where people read in and out people watch movies tv shows about what special people what about the normal people because that's what almost all of us are well and this this really speaks a lot to that whole new age thing too where everyone was cleopatra and nobody was this you know the sweeper at the local pub right you know? right oh, right, yeah. right. And, always someone famous <laughs> in your past life right how many cleopatras have i known jesus who is oh, that yeah, guy it's david what's his face oh, sorry. it's chunk oh, yeah i know who you're talking about david mag it's chunk from the goonies where he's like michael jackson did not stop to use your bathroom no but his sister did no everybody but, has, has uh, recently become this. obsessed with being special but beyond this and beyond the whole Ashkenazi thing, the idea of interdimensional something outside here, and I don't care what what it is. And so when I think of that, I don't think of the Ashkenazi at all. And I don't think of those rabbis. Remember, I only just learned about that. And yeah. but I have been definitely involved in understanding that there are other energetic forces out there that are at play and i have experiential stuff and i understand how fallible that can be but in my life there's been a lot of stuff and evidence that suggests this and so and i'm not suggesting this is ghostly or anything i'm just trying to understand what other people think about these things we can call them the fae we can call them the jinn we can call them demons we can call them ghosts we can call them pleiadians but there is this idea that there are unseen things out there that have a sentience that have a will and even if it's a collective will like a hive mind will etc and that does play into a lot of the stories we see through um through fiction Certainly. and all that what do you think about these ideas is what i'm asking and and none of that 
means that they're not part of this realm. Just oh yeah, through. we yeah we are we just don't have whole. visibility. We just can't perceive them. That's the thing. But and so perception's a big deal here. But it's still it's still this big question of the things we can't perceive, but we may feel the effects of. Right. So oh that that actually. Okay, first off, this whole idea should make you feel excited. Like, even if you can't perceive it, the just the idea that exists is such a wonderful thing because yes. the world would be dead without things like that. If you tell me that there's no God, there's no creation, there's no fairy fae people, there are no feather-headed ninny muggins, like, I, then what is this world? me acquiring things until i die and hopefully i don't feel it when i die because i'm afraid of pain like we've all been trained no no i think that many what's the best way to say it tom waits said it best everything you can think of is true and yes we we actually the more we learn thank you science um, the more that we learn, the more that we learn to be true. Uh, we know that some plants are capable of visible mimicry, which means uh, a vine can climb up the stem of a tree and make itself look like one of the limbs of that tree. Now, this could be a pheromone thing, except it isn't. The vine also does it with plastic trees. And so something is allowing this vine to perceive outside of it. Every single plant and every single bit of flora in the world gives off a microscopic um, EMF cry. And in the presence of some, you know, when you walk into the woods and you get that good feeling, you're inundated with overlapping EMF fields from living things. Bioelectric signatures are actually affecting your brain. It's a morphic field. Yes. yes. The morphic field even leads us far back in time uh, under a new name or under an old name called Telegoni. The story mm -hmm. of Rama and Ravana, mm -hmm. yes. where, where the wife was taken. And when she was returned to uh, Rama, they actually had to test her before they allowed her to have his child because they didn't want the child to be the spiritual son of his adversary who took her. Thanks to the morphic resonance of being around someone. So these things are, they're not even woo anymore. Oh. Well, they, they never really were to me, but no. it's, no, it's, they um... weren't, but now it's, now it's coming back. And yes. now we're pretending like it wasn't that the whole time. People that get excited about things like morphic resonance or telegony, um, people that that understand electromagnetic radiation and uh, solar wind and muon spread, things like that, can still scoff at old stories that are making more and more sense the more we understand today. Yes. That like, is cognitive dissonance. It's like trying to tell a mask wearer that it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. This has been a really, really great conversation tonight, Nathan. I very much enjoyed 
uh, all of this and the pondering and the wandering and all of it. And of course, so much of this is what's so funny about all this is how dangerous right now it is to talk about some of this stuff. It's absolutely absurd, but these are the kinds of conversations I grew up having and continue to want to have. And this is the stuff that pushes us forward collectively by just questioning and talking and listening to each other and pushing out hypotheses and, you know, what ifs and going down little veins of, of curiosity. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times people get shouted down or dismissed immediately. And how can you dismiss a person unless you've seen something they've seen? There are entire conversations you can't have with people because they haven't even been exposed to the same ideas that you have, which is... And that's increasing, by the way. It is increasing. And so <laughs> it, it has to be a willful effort on all of our parts to listen and say, let's have a part two later um, because I want to find out what you're talking about before, before I shout it down or call you dumb. Because <laughs> I might feel dumb on the second time. I, I think, never uh, mind feeling dumb. I, I don't. And you know why? Because that's gotten me to, that's inspired me to go further. And and like I said, with some of the stuff we talked about tonight, there are things I've gone my whole life I didn't even know that I've just discovered that are out there that have been absolutely not obscured you know, different people are talking about. It's, again, a language barrier sometimes. And here we are um, trying to piece these things together. We're trying to look at the puzzle. And I think we have the ability where we are now more than ever to really scrutinize a lot of information because of some of the tools we have now. If we can remember not to be lazy, I would agree with you. Well, Having laziness is being to built made in. Us lazier. Yeah. Wally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's it. Convenience has made soft babies of all of us. That's the truth. Yeah, very much so. Uh it's it's sad. But I am um, I think it needs you, to get far worse before it gets better, though, unfortunately. Yeah. Something's got to break before you can rebuild it. But Ordo Abkeo is their mantra. Yep. Never mind that it is actually a viable solution to a problem. Yeah. It's unfortunate that that's been perverted, and that's the only meaning we can derive for it, because Ordo Abkeo is, is a sound concept. None of their methods or beliefs are necessarily not clever. They're just <laughs> inhumane in a lot of ways. Not to them, oh, yeah. but to us, to the to the sheep. Yeah, you can use a rock to build a wall or kill your brother. I mean, it all depends on the use. Depends on the context. Yeah. Was he fucking your sister? <laughs> kill him. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah, right. I mean, it, it, intent, it does break down to that. So thank Ooh. you. Yes. Which, by the way, as as a little bit of a a teaser for anybody that's interested in the Obery, do you know where Canada comes from? 
the name laid the, on the us. country Kanade by way of Canaan. Mm. Yes, that that is something that's in the mix. And isn't that interesting? The first blood or the born of the first blood and that whole thing. Yep. <laughs> My friends are all over me. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we didn't get to talk much about actual hidden history, so we'll have to have you back to uh, cover some of that. Yeah, we'll go specific next time. We'll really? go specific next time, like yeah. do orphan train, like an orphan train episode. Yeah, but this was a fun meander. That was great. Was really, really fun. I was awesome. I so enjoyed this. I think we should bring both you and Alex on though, and you guys can tag team. I am. Yes, I'm a support character. <laughs> you're you're the straight man. <laughs> All right. See, he tells the jokes, I sing the songs, and get the girl. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, thank you everyone for listening. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Nathan, so much. Uh, do you want to? Do you have any place anyone can find you? I know you don't really not big on social media. I'm not, but uh, if you if you want to know what I'm talking about, anytime I speak obreproject.org the project is spelled with a k um stolenhistory.net and if you have a mind for ancient holistic sciences uh, especially where the body is concerned stolenmedicine.net is the new offshoot and it's gotten a lot of traffic lately it's worth checking out cool i will put that into the show notes right now i'll put that in the show notes here we go and yes thank you gary taters is the reason i decided to do this because he's been bugging me about doing my own thing thank you, <laughs> thank you gary much love to gary taters and everyone in chat thank you so much for hanging out with us we will be back after the new year with uh more regular shows and uh many of them will just be nish and i bsing talking about news and stuff so Oh, yeah, we're going to get all over it. We're going to talk about TV shows that we watched over the holidays and dig into mm. the esoterica there. There's, there's Maybe a lot some of, deep booty love, all some, of it. Oh, don't tease. <laughs> yeah, I got, Thank you. I got <laughs> all these chicks ever. banging down my door this week. What is going on? Jerry, your hot stuff out there. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. that confidence just rolling off. Is that you. what it is? Yeah. It's that Ashkenazi blood. <laughs> It is. <laughs> Girls like lizards. Jerry's representing. Anyway, right. thank you everyone for coming here and playing with us, especially you, Nathan, and always you, Jerry. Thank you, Nish. Thank you, Nathan. All right. Have a great night, everybody. And you.